0: This podcast has mature content and language that may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 6, The Perfect Ending There's this thing that's happened to me a few times in my life. This shift when happiness is easier to come by. Like it's not that much of a struggle to wake up And feel happy. It's when I'm being seen, when I'm fully welcomed, when I'm deeply comfortable. And of course, I get attached to that feeling. Who wouldn't? I would do anything to try and make that happiness last forever. But what if it's not in my control? I'm Emmy. And this is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. After Max, I was pretty much taking a break from all dating. Emmy, 30, working on myself. Actually, I need to tell you something. This whole time, and for my whole dating career as Emmy, I've been lying about my age. Shaving off a couple years here and there. I think it's because my sex and dating life as Emmy started late, and I wanted to have a shot at young love. Pretend I hadn't spent so many years through my 20s, confused and searching so hard to find myself. So my age is a lie, but I'm working on it. I had just achieved 10 years of sobriety and I felt like there was something missing. I felt a huge void within me. I felt like I should be really happy that I just achieved 10 years of sobriety, but I wasn't. And you know, I had been dating like crazy, trying to fill this void with someone else. And then somebody asked me, what does your spiritual life look like? You know, when I first got sober and I heard about the spirituality component of the program, I was a little bit turned off and kind of like hesitant because, again, I grew up Catholic and I didn't really want to live the Catholic life, right? Because I was taught in a like a fear, like I was taught to be scared of God and I was taught that I was going to go to hell for being who I am. So I wanted none of that. Somebody put it to me so simple. They said, you know what? You just have to believe that there's a higher power and it's not you. I wanted a higher power that was going to love and just accept me for who I am with no judgment, with no fear. Someone once said, you know those waves crashing waves in the ocean can you stop them and I was like no so there was like my first tangible example of something more powerful than me so I get in my car and drive to the ocean and I was meditating and just having conversations with the ocean pretty much about my obsession with relationships with dating With money, you know, shiny objects, I really started, you know, having conversations and kind of surrendering those thoughts. And with time, I felt like the ocean was kind of absorbing all of those things that I was focusing on. I stopped constantly thinking about the dating apps, the hookups, just all that noise outside. I just wanted to work on Emmy. But I still had Instagram. And that's where I got the friend request from this guy named Dylan, who was also posting about 12-step program. I didn't think anything of it. I mean, the kid looked so young. I I didn't really think that this was someone that I would be into. And you know how it goes on social media. You start liking pictures back and forth, and then... You start liking their stories or whatever. I wasn't looking for a relationship at the time, so I didn't even go there in my mind. But we start DMing, and I learned that Dylan was a year and a half sober. He had just gone out of a treatment center, living on his own. He had a job. He went to meetings. And he just looked very pure, right? He had this innocence about him that was... So endearing. Dylan was a skinny, tall, white boy. He was from the South. He had green eyes, dark blonde hair, and very clear skin. And then the day came when Dylan asked me if I'd like to hang out with him. I was a little confused at first because, you know, here I am taking time off from dating and not really wanting to be in the relationship so that I could work on myself and go through the, you know, the conflicting thoughts in my head. Like, do I want to hang out with this kid? Do I not? Do I want to put energy into this? But I had a conversation with him about me being trans, which I finally figured out how to talk about with potential partners without feeling super anxious about it. And I agreed to hang out with him. We made a plan to watch a movie, get something to eat. And he came over, and he was just so nice. He'd seen me in person at meetings or at events that I would go to, but had never really mustered the courage to talk to me. So then the following day, Dylan wanted to hang out again, make plans to hang out again. And we made plans to go on a date, And he wanted to take me to his favorite sushi spot. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm back in the dating game. The fact that he texted me the next day wanting to hang out again wasn't like something that I was super used to with my other casual dating experiences. Remember, Max had totally just fucked with me. So we went on the sushi date which was terrible sushi, by the way. Yeah, I remember I even got sick from it. However, the company and the conversation was so good that that didn't matter. And I remember a week and a half had gone by of us, like, hanging out. And I get a phone call from him. And he says, "Emmy, I just want you to know, I'm not a fuckboy. And I really want to date you. And I'm like, okay, hold up. This is too soon. We just met. And I pushed back a bit. I'm like, I don't think you mean what you're saying. Because you just met me. You don't know very much about me. And he said, no, but I want to. And then this turned into... Date after date, him spending the night, me spending the night at his place. And it just evolved so quickly. And then one morning, we were in my apartment. He woke up, turned over, looked at me in the eyes, and said, I love you. And it just seemed like such a pure expression coming from him. It felt sincere. It felt genuine. This felt like a really strong connection. Because he had this caring and nurturing way about him. I could tell he had a good heart. But I didn't say it back. I wasn't ready. But it did feel like maybe I could say it back. I did feel a connection. I just didn't want to make the same mistakes. Dive in too fast and get swept away. Dylan used to call me his queen, and his actions made me feel like a queen because he was so attentive. He would go out of his way to just show me affection in a way that nobody ever had. You know, he'd stare into my eyes, he'd caress my face, he'd play with my hair. He really put the effort into knowing what made Emmy happy We started traveling. We would go to conferences, like 12 step conferences. We'd go to events together. Then we got a dog together. And he started spending more time at my place than at his. Just to have that experience of getting, adopting a dog together, it was beautiful. I found myself falling in love with this guy. knew Dylan was from the south so that was kind of uh that was kind of nerve-wracking for me because I just know how southern families values could be right a little bit on the conservative side and he would tell me oh I want to take you to South Carolina or I want you to meet my family I want you to meet my brothers I want you to meet my mom and that made me feel very nervous because gosh how was that gonna go I definitely expressed this concern with him. He's like, oh, they're going to love you. Don't worry about that. And then one night he told me, hey, look, I'm going to take a family vacation. And my mom knows that I'm dating you. She said, you're welcome to come with us. We're going to Europe. And I freaked out because, oh, shit. What is this family going to think of me? What's going to be their reaction when they find out that Emmy is a trans woman? And I expressed that concern to him. And when I told him what I was feeling, he said, hold on. And he picked up the phone and he called his mom. And he's like, hey mom, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. You know, small talk. And then I heard him say, yeah, Emmy would like to come with us. But there's something that I want to tell you. Emmy is a trans woman and I love her. And my heart just sank. I was scared. I was nervous. Was this going to tear our relationship because apart? In the past, because I had the to keep that a secret out? from my boyfriend's parents, because otherwise, right? I wasn't going to be accepted. And then he hung up the phone and he said, It's all good. And I'm like, What does that mean? And then my phone rings, and it's his mom. He said, answer. And I start freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I answer, and I'm like, hello? And I heard this woman's voice with a southern accent, and she said, Honey, I just want you to know that what you are doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you love my son and you treat him right. And I'm so looking forward to you coming with us to Europe. And I felt like I've never felt before seen, loved, accepted. What Dylan had done was something that no one ever had. Dylan really presented me as I was no hiding, no shame, just love. That phone call, those amazing months, they were just filled with joy. And as amazing as it was to feel safe and loved and taken care of, it was also scary because this wasn't the first time that I'd felt this way. And I knew that this feeling, it doesn't always last. When I was six, I had felt just like that. It was a time before pain. I was living with my grandmother, my mom's mother, Mami Dicha. My grandmother had stepped in as a maternal figure in my life. She gave me love, acceptance. She was encouraging. She spoiled me. My mom had been in and out of jail, of detoxes, rehabs. So my mom was always coming in and out of my life. I mean, I knew she was my mom and I had some sort of relationship with her, but I kind of always saw her like an older sister because my grandmother was, you know, I called her mommy, Mammy Dicha. She always said that I was the light of her eyes and I always felt very accepted and not judged by her. I remember music being such an important part of our life. The record player was in the dining room. It was on this big long console. And I remember just the records were stacked next to each other. And she'd take out a record, and you know, on the cover of the record was the beautiful face of Rocío Durgal. And we'd sing. She'd sing. I'd sing. I was allowed to dance however I wanted. I don't think I knew what dancing was or that there was coordination with it. I just moved. I listened to the music and I just moved however I wanted. And I was allowed to. My grandmother and my aunt would always dress me kind of like an adult. I'd wear button-down shirts, short sleeve, tucked in. They wanted me to be super elegant, even at that age. I didn't mind it. I just remember Mami Licha always being dressed up. She loved being dressed up. I remember she'd wake up in the morning and start putting together her outfits. She'd put her lipstick on. She loved wearing poop earrings. She had big hair. She used to get it done. So she had this really nice golden updo. She had golden hair. She just looked so elegant. I knew that Mamalicha would attend business meetings, right? She'd be gone, and I'd stay at the house. But sometimes she invited me to come with her if I wanted to go. And she kind of hesitated to take me with her because they were long drives. So she said, okay, if you want to go with me, let's go. My grandmother loved her car. She had a Chevy Caprice Classic. Long hood. It looked very elegant. It had chrome accents. This big, boxy, shiny brown car. i jump into the passenger side, put my seatbelt on. Sometimes we drive for a few hours, and I would get so impatient. But she would say, if you're a good boy, I'll take you to McDonald's after we're done. That was her way of rewarding me. She'd turn on the music, and we'd drive. I remember our drives being so long, and the scenery was just kind of boring. There wasn't a lot to look at. It was kind of an isolated area that we would drive into. We basically pulled into another house in the middle of nowhere, and there were other cars around the house. She'd knock on the door, we'd go inside... I'd sit in the living room and she'd tell me to wait. She'd go into a room with a few people and I'd stay outside, kind of in a waiting area, playing with my toys, whatever toy I took with me. And then it seemed like an eternity, like she was gone forever. But then she'd come out and the men followed behind her. And they'd ask me, how are you doing? Were you a good boy? And then one of the men would pull out his wallet and hand me a a bill, whether it be a dollar bill or a $5 bill. And he'd say, here you go for being a good boy. The men that would greet my grandmother were always very kind. There was a strong respect there in the way they interacted with each other. And I'd seen these people before. They'd come down to our party sometimes. They weren't complete strangers to me. I don't know that I ever put thought into wondering what she was doing. Or if I was too involved in my toys. But yeah, I don't think I had any idea of what those business meetings were. I just lived in this blissful ignorance. Dylan and I decided to move in together about a year after we started dating. It was one of those situations where it just made more sense to just have one apartment. You're spending all your time together anyway. And by this time, we had two dogs and not enough space. This was a huge deal because it's something that I've always wanted, right? I always wanted to be the perfect housewife. So we started looking for apartments and he wanted to... Lived somewhere where he could be closer to work. And at this point, I was working from home, so I was open to moving anywhere with him. And we found this amazing apartment closer to his work that we just fell in love with. We started furnishing it together. We celebrated our anniversary. He took me out to this really nice dinner because I always wanted to fulfill this role of a housewife, I would cook for him, pack him lunch, do his laundry. I was so happy to do those things for him. I'm happy. I think he's happy. And then his work shift started becoming longer. He worked kind of a swing shift, so he'd leave here around 2 p.m. and get back around midnight. But then he started coming home at 2am or 3am. And so I was a bit confused at first because I said, I thought, you know, living closer to work, you were going to be home sooner. He's like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. You know, we've been really busy and there's been overtime. And I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe something was off, but I kind of quieted those thoughts, those negative thoughts that we get. I'm like, I'm not going to obsess over something that's probably not real. Because Dylan would never, Dylan would never, I kept telling myself that. One Sunday, we had a normal day just like any other. We ran errands, we went to the meeting, we walked dogs. And then after dinner, it came time to watch TV. He was pretty adamant about a certain type of show he wanted to watch. And I was like, I don't wanna watch that. Can you please watch something we both enjoy? And that kind of turned into an argument. Finally, you know, he went upstairs and watched his show. And I stayed downstairs, watched my show in the bedroom. And then he came downstairs a few hours later and he gave me a kiss on the cheek. And he's like, I love you. And he kept kissing me. Bunch of little kisses on my mouth, on my cheeks. And he just said, I love you, I love you. And I was like, you know, kind of petty when I said, do you really? We can't even agree on a show. And honestly, I was just kidding. I wasn't being serious. But then his face kind of changed. And I was like, what's wrong? And he just stood there in silence. And I was like, oh shit, something's wrong. And he looked at me and he said, you're right. I don't love you anymore and my heart just sink. and in my mind I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, what do I do? I said, sit down, let's talk about this. He sat down and I told him, look Dylan, I would never force you to stay in a relationship that you're not happy in. If you're not happy with me, that's okay. I'm dying inside. My heart shattered in a million pieces, but I want to have a clean end with him. And if he doesn't love me, like what's the point of keeping somebody around who doesn't love you if they're just gonna end up resenting you? That's what I thought. You know, we had just signed a lease together on an apartment, but I was trying to keep my cool and I didn't want to attack him or make him feel bad. I was trying to be supportive, I guess the word is. Even though it was like so much pain inside. Even though he had just ripped the rug out from under me, I still wanted to be his support. I felt he deserved it. I thought he was worthy of it. And you know, I guess I didn't really stop and think about what I deserved. And then he just closed his eyes and tears just started flowing down his face. And I knew, that told me that there was someone else. So I asked him, is there someone else? And he can't stop crying, and I could tell that he's in pain. And all he muttered was like, it's nothing serious. Well, it was serious to me. Who is it? I asked. I demanded that he tell me. He said, why does it matter? It's not going to make things better. I said, you better fucking tell me who it is. That support that I had for him just seconds before was gone, right? It turned into anger because I was betrayed He betrayed my trust. He responded, it's just someone from work that I've been hooking up with. And then it made sense to me, right? Him coming home at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Him saying that he had to work on weekends. He went upstairs and he said, I'm going to give you some space. And I said, no, you need to get out. I can't be under the same roof with you. Knowing this, he grabbed his phone charger, his car keys, and he walked out. What happened? This reality that I was living wasn't real. I was betrayed. This relationship that I had put so much effort into being the perfect partner was a sham. A few weeks passed by, and then Dylan reached out to me, and he had another confession. He wasn't sober. He hadn't been sober. He had been using behind my back before our breakup. I asked him to come by, and he did. He stopped by, and he looked terrible. He was skinnier than ever. He looked like he hadn't slept. And I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I'm going to drive to South Carolina. I was like, well, that's insane because you haven't slept. I said, do you want to stay out there or do you want to get sober again? And he said, I don't know. After talking and talking and talking, I finally convinced him that treatment was the best possible option. I called his friend. I called one of his mentors I spoke to his mom, and somehow we all got him to go into treatment again. I don't know if necessarily it was, like, a way to prove my love to him. I just knew that I loved him and that I didn't want him to die. He was only supposed to go to treatment for a few months, and then when he was going to get out, we would revisit the situation. That turned into years, really. I didn't hear from him until about a year and a half after he had left. So I had to continue with my life but I never got closure. To be completely honest, I was dreading recording this episode because it's the most recent experience that I've had and things are probably not going to end up The way i would like them to end up you know which i've accepted and i guess i realized that no matter how perfectly i fit the part didn't always mean that someone else was going to treat me perfectly you can't write the happy ending by being perfect The morning, everything changed. I remember that morning, my grandmother was not going to take me to school. She had some work thing to tend to, and she seemed a little preoccupied. We had family visiting from Texas that week, and I remember it was a full house. My grandmother was there. Two of my aunts were there. The maid was there two uncles that were visiting from Texas were there, and then my mom and Kiko. My grandmother told me that one of the uncles from Texas was going to drive me to school because she couldn't, and that she would pick me up later. I got ready for school, and my uncle took me to school in my grandmother's car. So we're driving to school, which is not even very far from where we live. It was probably about half a mile away. And we're getting close to the school entrance when all of a sudden, this black car pulls up behind us and demands for my uncle to stop. Immediately, the car was surrounded by agents, like 15 agents, surrounding the car with their guns drawn. One of them pulls my uncle out of the car and pats him down. And I'm just gripping my seat, terrified. Then another agent came and opened my door, brought me down from the car, asked me my name, and said, here, let's take you to school. I looked up and all I could see was everyone who was standing in front of the school was just staring at us. Because this happened right at the entrance of my elementary school. I turn around and I see that my uncle's being arrested. The agent walked me into the school office, and the secretary immediately took me into the principal's office. And then they took me to class without saying anything else. The school day went by so slowly. It was like everything was happening in slow motion. Spelling tests and math class and kids singing songs. I couldn't move all day. Before the school day ended, They pulled me out of class and brought me back into the office and said, you need to wait here. Your grandmother's picking you up. And of course, I assumed it was Mamilicha who was picking me up. But to my surprise, it was my nana, my dad's mom. I felt like something was off. I remember going to my nana's house And everyone was just so secretive. I could hear them talking, mumbling, but I couldn't really make out what they were saying. And everyone just seemed worried. That night, it was explained to me that Mamilicha was in jail. I learned that night, at seven years old, that my queen, my hero was probably going to be put away for a very long time. The very next day, the San Diego Union-Tribune printed an article. 475 pounds of alleged cocaine seized at the border. Six are arrested. They called Mami Dicha the ringleader. The newspaper called it the largest cocaine seizure at the point of entry in San Isidro with an estimated street value of $30 million. Oh my God, why am I crying? I need a tissue, home. Mm-hmm. In talking to my aunt, she explained to me that once Mama Lisha knew that they were gonna come and arrest her, her first thought was to come and get me from school so we could leave and get away. She didn't make it in time. Our family had been watched for a very long time. This had been an ongoing investigation and they knew everyone's schedule. They knew exactly what our daily routine was. She didn't really have a chance. This is a day that my life changed completely. The stability that I had, the structure that I knew, was taken away in the blink of an eye. Mamelicha had always been the protector of the family. She took care of everyone, and she could no longer do that. This is the day that I lost Mamelicha as my mother. Everything that I knew that was warm and comforting was suddenly taken away. And it kind of set me up for the terrible things that happened to me after. I had no idea of the things that I was going to experience from this loss. I was living a really happy childhood. And this reality that was presented to me the next day was not the story I thought I was living and I felt that I had no control in how the story of my life was going to play out. This was the beginning of my sadness, of a lot of suffering, the beginning of a story that I never thought was going to be my story. For a long time, I tried to be the person who didn't have the suffering of what happened to me on this day. I've tried to figure out what my life would have been like if I would have had a normal childhood. What I would have been like if I would have had a normal childhood. I wanted to be that person. But that's not me. I don't have the perfect TV family, but we've come a long way. I remember the day I visited Mami Licha as Emmy for the first time. And when I walked in the door, she got up from her table, gave me a hug, and told me I was beautiful. And my big, crazy family accepted me for who I am. I don't have the perfect romantic love story, but I do have a really important relationship that's new. And that's the relationship I have with my mother. My mom has been clean for about six years, and that's just a fucking miracle. I get to have this relationship with her that I've always wanted. Our Christmases look so different than that Christmas we spent in that city motel. Today, she makes sure that we all get together on Christmas and make tamales as a family, that we wear matching pajamas, that wants her kids together on her birthday that wants to celebrate family unity. And I love that. For as long as I can remember, I've been looking for love. Looking for that perfect partner, perfect family, perfect life. What I dreamed of as a kid. But my story isn't perfect. Even though I don't love everything that happened in my story, I realize that I love my story. I love that I got here. I love where I'm going. And I love myself. I'm going to stop searching for perfection. Stop hiding myself. Stop pretending to be something I'm not. But I'm not going to stop searching for love. I'm Emi Olea, and this is my love story. Crumbs is a production of iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network and Sonoro, in association with Trojan Horse. It's produced by Margaret Catcher and Carmen Graterol and edited by Jasmine Romero and Alex Fumero. Original music by Daniel Peterschmidt, and engineering by Manuel Parra and Daniel Padilla. Executive produced by Giselle Bancès and Connell Byrne for iHeart, Alex Fumero for Trojan Horse, Joshua Weinstein, Jasmine Romero, Camila Vitoriano, and Jerónimo Ávila for Sonoro, and me, Emi Olea. Special thanks to Monisa Henricks, Fernanda Estrada, and Sara Mota. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the
2: mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a A podcast. podcast.